Move Forward Radio is brought to you by ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Reese. Ryan Hodgkinson was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when he was 11 years old. The condition affects those who have it in different ways. Cases vary from mild to severe. There is no cure. Crohn's can be successfully managed, but how that's done depends on the severity of the case. To date, Ryan's Crohn's disease has required nearly 50 abdominal surgeries. Earlier in his life, it sidelined his interpersonal relationships, interrupted his graduate studies, and led to opioid addiction, depression, and a mental health crisis. Now, however, in his late 30s, Ryan is a successful business owner and athlete with a happy family life. The story of how he got from there to here is a multifaceted one. One constant was the assistance and care of his sister, Heidi Kosakowski, a physical therapist and Pilates instructor whose professional skills played a big role in his journey. Brother and sister join us in this episode of Move Forward Radio to discuss the challenges of severe Crohn's disease, the power of proper intervention and disciplined personal action, and the lasting imprint of sibling love. They've got some advice, too, for anyone who has chronic pain, and especially those who have Crohn's of whatever severity, suspect its presence, or have a family member with the disease. Here's our conversation with Ryan and Heidi. Before we get started with, uh, with talking about Ryan's journey, uh, for listeners who aren't as intimately familiar with, with Crohn's disease as, as Ryan unfortunately is, Heidi, as a licensed physical therapist and as someone who's been involved in your brother's treatment, can you give us sort of a, a brief uh, primer on, on what Crohn's is and, and the issues that it can cause? So Crohn's is an inflammatory bowel disease of the digestive system. So it's kind of chronic inflammation, and it can involve one or multiple parts of the digestive tract. So it can be the small intestine, large intestine, or the anus. It used to be thought of as an autoimmune disease, but that's been kind of questioned recently. So when I was in physical therapy school, I learned it as like arthritis of your bowels. But Mm. so now they're kind of saying, no, it's more of a chronic inflammatory condition. There's no known cause, um, although there is thought to have a genetic component and even an overactive immune system component. But there's no set known cause, and there's also no known, known cure. So the best that we can kind of do in the medical field is you know, provide interventions for symptom relief. So that can sometimes be an ostomy, which would be you know, a hole cut in your stomach called a stoma, and they pull out a section of your intestines. And so all of your waste goes into a bag. So it's called an ostomy bag or an ileostomy bag, depending on where the hole is in your digestive tract. And that allows the inflamed part of your intestine to kind of just heal and not be irritated by having to digest food. So I'm sure Ryan can go into more of the signs and symptoms, but from a musculoskeletal perspective as a physical therapist, Crohn's can also cause joint inflammation, especially in the peripheral joints like the arms and legs although it can also cause, you know, arthritis symptoms in the spine. So generally the physical therapy approach in general to someone with Crohn's could be working on the symptoms of it. So that could be maybe in the case of Ryan, someone that might have a lot of scar tissue. It can be trying to do some manual therapy to release the scar tissue. It can be postural training. It can be core strengthening, general movement plans, and also pelvic floor therapy is, is a real common one. 
Heidi, I want to get back to one thing that you mentioned, just because I know it'll come up later. You, you mentioned an ileostomy. Can you just very briefly explain? Because I think a lot of people have heard of a colostomy and a colostomy bag. Mm-hmm. So can, can you talk about what the difference between an ileostomy and a colostomy are? So that's just the um, ileum versus the colon. So just where in your so your digestive tract is really large, right? You have a small intestine and a large intestine. And depending where your surgeon kind of creates the stoma and pulls out what part of your intestine, just anatomically where in the digestive mm-hmm. tract they create the hole and they kind of pull a small section with like a couple inches that come out. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves when it comes to, to Ryan's particular story. So, so Ryan, why don't we start out? It's my understanding that Crohn's really wasn't part of your life until you were about 11 years old. Can, so can you tell us a little bit about sort of your childhood up to that point and how and when it became clear that there was an issue, that there was a problem going on? You know, my childhood was fairly normal as far as health-wise. You know, we come from our, our parents had divorced when I was pretty young. So we spent a lot of time back and forth between my, our mother and father. And I became symptomatic when I was around 11. And it took him a long time to diagnose me. I was having cramping, a lot of weight loss, painful bowel movements. So at first, a lot of it was thought to be psychological, that it was maybe tied into my, our parents divorcing. We'd go to pediatricians. They would basically refer us to a lot of psychologists, or they tell me to take the Pepto-Bismol. It took him about a year before I was ever referred to a, gas, a pediatric gastroenterologist who did a colonoscopy, and it was very clear that I had Crohn's disease. Heidi, I wanted to ask you as a, as a, as a health professional, is that still the case where, where there might be that suspicion that there's uh, something emotionally or psychologically going on, or is that more a function of when this was happening to Ryan? I would say I'm not so sure about the, the kind of mental health or psychological aspect, but I do know that most people don't go directly to their diagnosis because, you know, you don't do the colonoscopy right away. So a lot of people have to go through lots of visits and, and having a lot of, because it's, it's based on symptoms. And so they have to kind of present with all these symptoms, different symptoms, in order for them to really suspect something like Crohn's or colitis. So I'm not sure about the mental health aspect, but I do know that generally it takes a while before they arrive at a diagnosis. So Ryan, I understand that you were put on a couple of medications around that time that, that proved to have some positive and some also some very negative effects. Can you talk some about that? So they immediately put me on prednisone and Zagil. The prednisone was at 60 milligrams, and it alleviated some of the um, like the stomach cramping, and mm-hmm. it would uh, help alleviate with you know the, the frequent painful bowel movements. So there there was a definite positive there. I started gaining weight again. But the negatives of, especially the prednisone, were very, I became very um, moody. I had dramatic mood swings. I actually ended up getting suspended from school for fighting a couple of times just in recess, you know, very quick to go off, where previously I'd never really been in a fight. Other issues I had with it, you know, of course, you break out in acne. You, although I was still very skinny from the Crohn's disease, you get the bloated face look. I guess my own suspicion of, like, being on prednisone, so I was on prednisone from, 1992 through 2004. Not and and what, what ages would that have made you at, the, at that time? 12 to 24. Okay. Wow. I had a base dosage of about 20 milligrams I'd take every day. And then as I, whenever I'd go into a flare, they'd up it to around 60. So I do have a suspicion that it's, it's caused some, you know, long-term growth issues as far as Heidi can attest. I have very short arms and legs. And I have <laughs> been told that it can cause some of the uh, long-term prednisone can cause the stunting of the growth of long bones. Now that's just what one yeah, I mean, I, I'm not. Sorry, I chuckle because we call him T-Rex um, <laughs> as, as a loving nickname. And, and Ryan, wasn't there a point 
I can't remember what year, but you, so long-term steroid use, um, you know, the, the side effect is that it causes damage to your tissues. It kind of mm-hmm. changes the integrity of the tissues. So, so they would say that you had brittle bones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's when I was first told that I needed to be doing some resistance training by a doctor. So you've got all these things going on when you're a teenager, which is, you know, emotionally and every other way, kind of a difficult time of life. So that that must have been particularly uh, tough for you being kind of uh, different from the other kids in all these other ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, navigating the challenges of like junior high school while you're having to run to the restroom in between every class or have someone cramping or missing a lot of school, weeks of school at a time, months of school at a time. So trying to stay on top of that, it definitely added another dimension to my uh, junior high and high school experience. But for the most part, I think as a child, is fairly adaptable to, to the disease. So it wasn't until high school when I started to have surgeries that um, it really became started to affect my, my daily life and how I just interacted with my peers. So let's jump jump to that, because you, you mentioned surgery, and you were, what, 17, and uh, you, you sort of had a situation where, where you, things really took a, took a major turn. Can, can you talk about that period? At 17, I developed a fistula, um, and this is really common with people with Crohn's disease, and this is something that's hard for me even to talk about now as an adult, but I de- developed an anal fistula, and it was incredibly painful, and I went through a number of drainages, you know, under anesthesia. Then they decided that the only way for the anal fistula to heal is to divert my colon through what's called a loop ileostomy. It's where they pull up your small intestine, form it into a loop, and cut a little hole in the top of the loop, and that's what forms your stoma that you apply your ileostomy back to. That surgery didn't go very well. My intestine somehow got wrapped around itself. I ended up having to spend about a month in the hospital, had six surgeries in that time to repair the original surgery. And then when I got out of the hospital, you know, I, I came out, I went in weighing about 145 pounds, came out weighing 109 pounds. I was on mm-hmm. total parental nutrition. It was a really rough time. Yeah, the NG tube is the tube they stick up your nose and goes down your throat and it empties out because during in between surgeries, they didn't want anything passing through my system. So they mm-hmm. had me on the total parental nutrition, so I wasn't eating. That's why I lost all the weight. And then the NG tube was to make sure that my your colon will naturally create digestive juice uh, enzymes throughout the, the day, so they needed to draw that out so they couldn't have that passing through my system. And having an NG tube put in is a very, it, when you're awake, is a very traumatic experience. Well, I'll, I'll bet. <laughs> but still, um, Ryan, you were, you were able to attend and actually graduate from Gonzaga University, and you even spent a year living abroad. How difficult was it to handle all that? I had the surgeries my sophomore year. By the time I graduated, I was at 24 surgeries or 25, somewhere in there. I had had the loop ileostomy, then I had it taken down. I actually went to Japan the following summer, and I compete I, to train in karate, compete in the Keishin Kai World Championships. And while I was in Japan, the fistula came back. So when I returned to America, they, had to, they decided then to give me a colostomy, uh, where they pulled up the large intestine. And I'm not sure exactly why. They went with the colostomy the second time. The only difference to me is the ileostomy is on the right side of my body and the colostomy was on the left side of my body. And then going to, like I said, Gonzaga. So I had the colostomy my senior year um, that was then taken down. So going into Gonzaga, I didn't have any ostomy. The symptoms were fairly under control. I had a good freshman year. Sophomore year, um, the fistula again became a problem. And I had to have a number of surgeries again traveling down to Los Angeles to see some specialists. And that's when our, our father passed away uh, around that time. One of my surgeries was a blessing in disguise because it was in Los Angeles. So I flew down to, and stayed with my father 
Mm-hmm. And we had this, you know, we at 20 years old, you kind of start to grow, not apart from my father, but we had, you know, our differences. And we had an amazing visit during my surgery, which we really had a close heart to heart and got to kind of understand each other a lot better. And then he passed away a couple of weeks later. So that moment or that closure with my father. So, um, so, so, so in a weird way, Crohn's kind of gave you a little bit of a gift there. Yeah, I did. So not all of it is bad, I guess. <laughs> and then see, so sophomore year and then. They had the surgeries. I went to Europe, and Europe was very challenging with Crohn's disease, especially with here in Italy. Bathrooms aren't readily available. You oftentimes have to pay for them when they are, and a lot of times they don't have toilet paper. So this was kind of my daily struggle in Italy was making sure I always had um, or knew where a bathroom was and how I could duck out of some ancient cathedral and run to wherever I could find a public restroom. In Europe, it's just I, I was symptomatic, but it, the fistula wasn't a problem that time. I just had the Crohn's symptoms, so constant restroom, uh, needing to use the restroom. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until, let's see, my again, my senior year, came back to Gonzaga, and I think in the second semester of my senior year, I had a couple more. That's when the fistula reappeared, and I had to have it drained a few more times um, before graduating from Gonzaga. So you become very familiar with hospitals. <laughs> yeah. One thing that... Uh, Often hap- would happen is, uh, you know, one of the hospitals I went to for the majority of my surgeries was St. Luke's uh, in Boise, Idaho, and a wonderful hospital, wonderful staff. And oftentimes I'd go into a surgery in the pre-op, and all the nurses knew me. And <laughs> thing is, though, I meet them under anesthesia or, you know, when I'm being prepped for surgery or, you know, post-op when I'm being given all sorts of painkillers. So I don't really remember a lot of them or what I <laughs> <laughs> There'd be people who do all sorts of intimate details about me that I don't remember ever talking to. So, so uh, Ryan, um, you went to grad school at, at, at UCLA, but then something very bad happened, requiring sort of a, a a big surgery and major changes in your life. So, so maybe that's the the next uh, period it would be instructive to talk about. Yeah. So, um, I was accepted into UCLA's PhD ancient history program, and you know I left immediately from Gonzaga to do an intensive study summer study program. And about a, into my first year of graduate school, again, uh, the fistula reappeared, and I was going to UCLA Medical Center at that time to have it drained. And they did a scope of it while they drained it, and my surgeon basically said it's it's a lost cause. Like you're 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 going to end up with a permanent ileostomy, so whether you want to do it now or do it later. And just looking at my quality of life at that time, I just decided that it, it's I, I was tired of putting off the inevitable. So I, um, like maybe it couldn't be any worse. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't going to get any better. Yeah. Um, And the stress of grad school plus I think contributed to the symptoms of Crohn's disease. Stress can oftentimes aggravate or cause Crohn's to flare. So I decided to take a a quarter off of school, had my entire large intestine removed from my body. um, And then I was given a permanent ileostomy. The surgeon said that when he pulled my colon out of my body, it looked like it had gone through, in his words, a cheese grater. Wow. Not to get kind of melodramatic about it, but I mean, how, how, did, it, how did it feel to you to, to know at that point that you were going to have a, a, a pouch attached to you basically for the rest of your life? It was demoralizing. It was absolutely demoralizing because it's hard not to sit there and think that the past, you know, I think this was my, where we were even at surgery's point, I was at 40, this is my 46th surgery somewhere in there, or 40th surgery. And just thinking that all those other surgeries up to that point have been trying to not have a permanent ileostomy. Right. Um, so I kind of felt like I've gone through all of that for nothing. That was a very frustrating time. 
and then you do have a permanent ileostomy, and it's something you've been fearing for since I was 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, and it took me about a solid two years of kind of coming to, I guess, terms with my ileostomy um, and being comfortable with it. But um, I came back after um, my surgery, went back to grad school. I ended up earning my MA, but again, it just at this point, I was I have starting to suffer chronic pain, um, which mm-hmm. we'll get into in a little bit. But um, and that's when the opioids started to come into play, and that's when I left grad school, and that was about 2006. And so, what happened after that? I left grad school and I moved back with to Idaho and stayed with my parents. And basically didn't know what to do with myself. Um, it turns out that a master's in ancient history is not a very marketable degree. Go figure. So, yeah, that's right. No one wants <laughs> to translate ancient Greek or Latin for them. Um, so uh, it took me a while to find work, and but I eventually did end up working in the financial industry, which I, was not anything I wanted to do. But you know, you need to find work. My student loans were coming up. But again, after about a year working in the um, in finance, I didn't have the fish shell anymore because they had taken that out with Crohn's disease. And I was suffering from the chronic pain as a result of a lot of the surgeries. And that's also when the opioids, opioids started to really consume my life more. And I found I, I couldn't really hold down a job. And then it was around 2007 that I had a mental health crisis. And that's when Heidi stepped in and asked me to come out to DC to stay with her and she's going to work with me with physical therapy and I was going to practice Pilates with her and that happened in 2000, January, 2008, January, 2008. You were, you were what? 28 years old at the time. Yes. A quick break to encourage you to move. Physical activity is associated with a reduced risk of chronic disease, not to mention improved bone health, cognitive function, weight control, and overall quality of life. Simply put, more movement is the gateway to better health. Need some help to get going? Physical therapists are movement experts who use exercise, hands-on care, and patient education to help you meet your goals. You can contact a PT directly for an evaluation. Learn more and find a physical therapist near you at choosept.com. So Heidi, you asked Ryan to move east to live with you, and you said that you were going to kind of help him recover. Looking back to that period, what, what was your thinking at the time about what your brother needed and, and the ways in which you thought or at least you hoped that you might be able to help him? At that time, it was, like Ryan said, it was, it was a low point. And I think we had, due to some other mental health issues previously, the family had kind of done like an like an intervention at one point to try and figure mm-hmm. out how we could help him mm-hmm. um and i think during this episode that he was talking about it was i just remember getting a phone call from ryan at this period and just barely being able to hear his voice because it was just so quiet and so just sad so and i think my uh, our the rest of our family didn't know quite how to how to deal with it um and so i think at that point the main thing was like just just come just come live with me um just be by me um just get out of the situation that you're in whatever that right. means right um, right and so that was the main thing was i think it was kind of a very sudden thing like mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. when he kind of hit that point, it was, 
Ryan, wasn't that right? I think it was like within a matter of weeks you were you were in D.C. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, the addiction to opioids, which is kind of the precursor for when I had my mental health uh, incident. I keep saying, I'm saying mental health incident. I mean, I, I, I tried to overdose myself on opioids. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that that was a long burn. I mean, that started in 2004 with my ileostomy surgery. That's when they started prescribing me you know, a, medica- a medication I was to take daily, you know, I was taking Percocet oxycodone on a daily basis. And that was right. the treatment for the, the pain that I was having after my surgery. And it became very problematic after I moved to Boise and I started seeing a pain management clinic. Um, mm-hmm. And they were basically just pumping me full of all the oxycodone and morphine tablets I could handle. And it was at that time, I mean, I think it, it compounded with the, you know, you're, you're depressed about the having the ileostomy, you're, um, kind of watching your body is, you know, 27 years old and watching your, you, you feel like your body's falling apart and you feel like you're, you have an 80 year old body because it wasn't just the ileostomy. Now I was suffering from uh, perineal nerve pain. Um, and I had ruptured up my L4, L5 as a result of my, my surgery. And I was having all this other chronic pain tied up in, in with that. And then you're taking these pills to help with the pain and they just kind of make your life, they destroy your life. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had the the attempt on my life, my suicide attempt, and I actually called 911 after I took the pills. You know, I had a kind of a moment of clarity where it was like, what the hell am I doing? Um, this is not, after all, everything I've been through, I don't want to, this is not how I'm going to end it. Um, so I called 911. They came. I spent a week in the hospital to try to combat the effects of the, the pills I'd taken. And then afterwards, I checked myself, after they released me from the hospital, I checked myself into a kind of mental health clinic and they upgraded my case to where I wasn't so much optional. I had to stay with them for a couple of weeks. They were putting me on different medications for psychological, different uh, antidepressants and whatnot, mm-hmm. but they were still giving me the pain pills. I was still taking the pain pills. You know, it was always that like, well, yeah, but you need to take them for the pain you're in. And, you know, when Heidi, that was at that point that Heidi and I talked and she's like, you need to come out here. And I, I recognized I did. Again, it was a point like I, this is the lowest I was ever in my life, and it just wasn't working. And so I did, did it. I just got on the plane, flew out to see Heidi. And one of the first things I did when I got to Washington, D.C., even though I knew the pills were the major problem in my life, is I went and saw a gastroenterologist and I got a prescription for pills. <laughs> and um, there's a moment, this is you know within the first week or two of me coming to Heidi's, she came into my room and she took the bottle from me and just uh-huh. said, you know, if you want to stay here, if you want to do this and we want to work on this, you can't have these. And that was probably the best thing anyone's ever done for me. I'm sorry. I just wanted to ask you, what what, what did you know about Crohn's at this time? Uh, I mean, I, obviously you knew your brother's experience, but as a physical therapist, what did you know about Crohn's and what did you speculate you might be able to help him with as a physical therapist? And also parenthetically, someone who uh, who uh, is uh, knows a lot about Pilates. Sure. So, yeah, my my Crohn's information, obviously, you know, Ryan's been my master instructor. To be clear, Ryan has a very severe case of Crohn's. Mm -hmm. So Crohn's can manifest as someone that has occasional diarrhea, and and those are their symptoms. And and so that's kind of, you you learn a little bit, you don't quite understand the range of Crohn's, or at least that wasn't part of my education. Right. Um, I mean, I knew it. I knew it personally, but, but someone could have Crohn's and it can be an inconvenience in her life and something serious, but not to the extent Ryan was. Right. So I would say my my understanding, 
at this point, so again, you know, 2007, 2008, I've been a PT for like four or five years. So at that point, I had seen the effect of opioids. I'd seen pain medication um, affect people's lives in a very negative way. So I think I had um, an understanding maybe differently. And, and you know, I, I saw him as, as his experience as the result of poor management of his pain. But I didn't have an alternative to it. You know, I didn't know, right. you know, the pain management for, for that type of pain, I didn't know. Um, and as Ryan just described it as being, you know, this great moment, I mean, I, I think I remember I, I flushed the, the pills down the toilet. Like, I think I, I took his pills right in front of him and flushed them down the toilet. I remember that moment. And so him coming to the studio and coming to my clinic, it was really just a to keep an eye on him. I mean, that was my like kind of lame attempt of, of helping him get off drugs. And my, like, I look well, back I mean, at Heidi, that. Heidi, I kind of want to interrupt you right there. I wouldn't call it a lame huh. attempt because it worked. That was a successful attempt. No, I know, but I just, I, so what I feel bad about now is that like, and I don't, I don't think this help existed, but like, I don't, think that that is the recommended way to get someone off opioids. Like there is probably a way to decrease the dose to help you ease off of it. Like I don't know that cold turkey is the best way to get someone off opioids. That was the only way I knew at the time. I mean, I, I think if we went to a doctor and said, hey, he's addicted, how do we get him off this? They would have said right. go to a pain management doctor. And, and that right. was kind of so I feel like maybe nowadays because there's so much more awareness about it, there's mm -hmm. probably better, more weight. You know, I kind of just was like too bad, tough love. It's this or nothing. You 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 take these, you're out. You know, I'm going to flush them on toilet. So it was a tough love and it was based mm -hmm. in love. I just think nowadays there's probably better a better way to do it. Well, and as, and as you say, what what seemed important to you at the time was just basically keeping him literally in your line of sight, so that so that he couldn't be sneaking off and getting drugs anywhere. No, absolutely. And then as a result, because I am a physical therapist, and um, you know, he he had to come to work with me, and and all of my colleagues at the time were very understanding that my hey, my brother's just going to come to work, and he's going to answer some phones and kind of hang out. Um, they were very understanding. Um, so it it was it was a good good situation in that way, but it wasn't like he's got to do this and this treatment. It was like I got to keep my eyes on him, and then and then the physical therapy and, and all of the changes he started to experience just kind of um, followed that naturally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan, can you talk about sort of uh, experiencing physical therapy and, and Pilates and 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 how how that uh, helped helped kind of your recovery? Yeah, um, so. I was very, I guess at the time, hesitant about physical therapy and Pilates. I had a lot of pre-misconceptions uh, about both of them. Up until that point, you know, as I had said earlier, a doctor had recommended in high school that I started resistance training for maintaining bone density. So I had been lifting weights. Mm -hmm. And that was really my go-to exercise, that and uh, karate. So when my sister's telling me, oh, you should try this Pilates, and I really didn't know what it was, I was resistant initially, but she started working with me, working on my back, kind of teaching me about the, the first thing we did, we kind of tackled was the low back pain I was having and the sciatica I was having from um, a ruptured um, L4 and L5 disc in my yeah. back. And so she kind of taught me movements to correct that, that you can actually relieve a lot of that pain without having to take a pill. And to feel that was very empowering because, mm -hmm. you know, when Heidi took away those pills from me, I, first, my first response was just anger. 
You know, I mean, how, how right. dare she? She doesn't understand. Right. Right. Um, but then, you know, it was fear. Like, can I live my life without these pills? I really, at that point, thought I couldn't. You know, I thought I'd be mm-hmm. in daily pain. So, like, that's my that's my choice now is to, I have to be in daily pain. And then for her to kind of teach me ways that, hey, I can get out of pain without taking that pill. That was almost mind-blowing to me. And then, you know, she started with the Pilates. And, again, I didn't really get the point of it, didn't get the concepts at first. But as I started going and I started to feel healthy and I started to not be in pain every day, it was an amazing experience. So I just I, I dived into it. You know, I mean, something that makes you feel better. You, you I, How could I say no to that? And um, I went from basically, like I said, having a body I felt like it was an 80-year-old. And mm-hmm. a year later, I ran my first marathon. Pilates and physical therapy, I mean, they changed my life completely. That was some years ago now. But in, but in the meantime, uh, I mean, I think it's fair to say that uh, your, your your life has taken a major step forward. You, you mentioned running a marathon. You're a, mm-hmm. you're a black belt in karate. You've, you've now taught Pilates for many years. You're, you're certified in it. You, you recently opened your own Pilates studio in Washington. Uh, you're a personal trainer. You're a martial arts teacher. You're also a husband and father. I mean, talk a little bit about, the, about how you got from the point that you were at when you were first starting Pilates and, and physical therapy. To, to, to kind of where you are today. What physical therapy and Pilates really did for me is it, it took away my despair. Like I said, I, I really felt like I was stuck either living, taking the pills or being in pain and not to not have that, to all of a sudden realize that I, 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 I can live my life. It, and I, not only with the um, living pain-free, but I started to regain my, my health and my, I became physically fit again, which I hadn't been for a number of years. You know, uh, with all the surgeries and the pain medication, I had really – I put on a lot of weight, I, and not the type of weight a Crohn's disease patient wants to put on, and just was very depressed. And to, to all of a sudden see myself as a fit and healthy person again and be able to accomplish these things, you know, with, with Pilates, the, the very, you know, Pilates is a very progressive style of exercise. And when you progress to that next level, it's just this amazing sense of satisfaction, and it built my confidence up. And, mm-hmm. you know, from the time I, in 2004, I mean, this is 2008, 2009 around this area at uh, this time, I hadn't dated. I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it all, really, because you're, you have all these ideas like you have an ileostomy, no one's going to ever want to be with someone with an ileostomy. I remember thinking that a lot. And then all the other issues going on in my life. And so mm-hmm. to have this confidence again and to get out there and, and, and to start dating and to realize that it's not the big deal that, are, that you think it is. My, my ileostomy mm-hmm. is not people don't care nearly as much as I do about it. I guess just, I, I felt like I was the person I had been back before my ileostomy, before I had my colon completely removed. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the, mm-hmm. the same confidence I had in, in college and high school. So, and then I met my wife and we married and now we have two children and live in Arlington. So, so what, what challenges, what challenges do you continue to have? So, I mean, you know, I still have an ileostomy, you know, exercise. I exercise about four or five days a week with a yeah. uh, number of different uh, modalities. Now, your ileostomy when you exercise and you have sweat underneath the skin, it can cause the ileostomy to start to peel off or, or lose its adhesion. So, I do have to always be mindful of that when I'm exercising. That um, mm-hmm. my ostomy is secure. We also have no control over when it the output from your ostomy. You have no control of that whatsoever. Uh-huh. Uh, so, I still have to empty it probably ten times a day, twelve times a day. There's that, you know, I can I can lose weight very quickly, uh, which mm-hmm. a lot of people, I guess, would think is a good thing. But when you have Crohn's disease and weight, maintaining your weight has been an issue for most of your life. It's something I, I always, you know, I check my scale. And if it's, I lost three pounds from the last time I was on it, I get depressed. Or not depressed, but I, you know, it's, it's something I, I get a little worried about. 
but um, otherwise, that's that's about it. I mean, there, it's. I guess you know, I've kind of just come to the point now with my ileostomy. It's, it's part of my life. It's it's not something I used to think of it as a separate thing on my body that I hated, my stoma. Right. And right. You know, almost like a, I always imagine the movie Aliens, where the aliens popping out of your stomach. <laughs> right. That right. was an image I had. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember in high school, in between my ostomies, waking up in the middle of the night, you know, in a cold sweat, gripping my stomach, you know, because I was like, oh, my God, I had an ostomy again. In this, at this time, I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you used to so, do that a, a lot, Ryan. You used to touch your ostomy a lot, and you don't do that well, anymore. I well, you still do. You have to kind of. That's so. Like I said, you don't know when it's um, draining or when your when your ostomy needs to be emptied. You, you can't really feel it. So other, I tap it just to kind of mm-hmm. see whether or not you need to empty it. Um, but I am much more confident about. I guess my my ostomy. I don't. I don't. Mm-hmm. For the first, you know, both my my temporary ileostomy and my temporary colostomy, and the first four or five years of my having an ileostomy, a permanent ileostomy. You know, I li- my, lived in the greatest fear that people would find out about it. And mm-hmm. I did everything I could to hide it and everything I could to disguise the fact that I have this. And now I'm just I'm at a point in my life that I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm, I tell people about it. I mean, you want you, you wanted to have me go off for a couple hours, ask me about my ostomy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it also <laughs> helped save my life, you know. I mean, the things mm-hmm. I, I hated, yeah, I finally kind of came to this conclusion. Like, this is just, this saved my life. It's mm-hmm. part of my life. I can't ignore it. Um well, this, that, this this very this very discussion you're 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 telling you're telling a, a fairly wide audience about it. So I wanted to ask both of you, um, uh, uh, you know, um, Heidi uh, and uh, as well as as well as you, Ryan. Um, what uh, what advice or what would you? Uh, obviously, your case is, is is considerably more extreme than a lot of people's uh, case of Crohn's is, is going to be. But what advice would you have for people listening to this podcast in terms of? how to think about Crohn's and, and, and sort of uh, what to do about it and who to see about it. Oh, I would say um, as far as someone with Crohn's disease, uh, what I tell people when I, they, you know, I, I, people, people will come to me and say like, Hey, I was recently diagnosed with Crohn's. Um, and what I usually will tell them is, Hey, start to, to learn about it. You know, do it's pretty easy. Do some Google searches and you can learn quite a bit about it. Learn what these symptoms are. What so, you know, you might not be experiencing every symptom of the Crohn's. You probably aren't. You're only experiencing one or two symptoms. So know what the mm-hmm. other symptoms are in case you start experiencing them so you have a plan. Um, mm-hmm. And also be your best, your own advocate. Be, you know, you can, you're your best own advocate. So a lot of, I think, you know, I was in junior high and high school. You kind of just went along with whatever the doctors told you. You know, right. they know best. And so, you know, question the doctor. Why, you know, not, not saying don't, don't trust your doctors. Your doctors, you have, I definitely trust my doctors and I've had wonderful doctors over the years, but do question like, why, why am I on this medication? What are the side effects of this medication? Know what you're getting into um, before you, before your treatments, before you go into any kind of treatment plan or um, especially before you go into any surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, Heidi, mm-hmm. you have a well, I, one thing I would say is um, for people with um, ostomies is that you can strengthen your abdominal muscles. So Ryan, who's, you know, in his late 30s, has a six-pack. <laughs> um, and so a lot of it, um, a lot of the information out there doesn't 
I think Ryan has heard a lot of advice on different forums about do not shrink and do not contract the rectus abdominis, the the six-pack muscles. Do not do these exercises because it can pull on your ostomy. But I don't think that was actually based on any evidence. So Ryan and I have both searched for any type of guideline, um, exercise guideline, any protocols, and there, there's almost nothing out there. Hmm. Um, so we don't know what we don't know. Um, we have, you know, it, under the guidance, and I would say go to a physical therapist, you need to keep your abdominal muscles, your core muscles strong. You need to work on your posture um, because if you are constantly bending forward, and a lot of times, you know, especially in Ryan's case, all that scar tissue in his abdomen kind of pulled him forward, leading to a posture that is known to cause some disc issues in his back and his lumbar spine. Um, so that's that's what I would say. Um, and Ryan just kind of, because we didn't know. We were kind of in uncharted territory with his abdominal strengthening because we couldn't really get kind of, firm advice one way or the mm-hmm. other. And Ryan, in, in Pilates, he does a lot of exercises prone. So he gets on his stomach, on his bag, and does a lot of back extension exercises. And that was one of the things that we had to work on with his physical therapy was, you know, increasing the extension in his spine because he was in such a forward flexed position. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say that would be my advice for both physical therapists and um, and patients and, and people with Crohn's that mm-hmm. – um, I think you can do more than you think you can physically with your body and especially with your trunk. Okay. I don't know, Ryan, if you would, you know, feel it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, you know, I've heard it many times. Like you, you can't do abdominal exercises because the fear is you're going to develop a hernia. Right. Um, and you get on in your going to when you have an ileostomy, this isn't Crohn's disease. Um, this is for people who had an ostomy, either colostomy or ileostomy. Um, on all the web boards and stuff, there's, there's a number of people who, you know, they're, they're very afraid of doing any abdominal exercises because their doctor told them that not to because they'd get a hernia. Um, and really, it's about learning how to properly engage the core um, that would prevent that. Um, if you are, you know, really flexing your rectus abdominis and your that six-pack, yeah, you, you could be putting yourself at potential for a hernia. But if you're learning how to engage the uh, transverse abdominis, if you're, you're engaging a pelvic floor, you're, you're really not going to run into that. And I doubt really... I mean, I actually, I say with confidence, you're not going to run into that if you are properly engaging those muscles. Um, going back to like the advice, so I was, that, uh, I'd give someone with who has Crohn's disease, or mm-hmm. um, I was talking generally with Crohn's. As far as it, with an ileostomy, um, I would, I my recommendation for that person is a little different. It would be to reach out to the ostomy community. Um, there's a lot of great organizations out there um, that I was not aware of. Like when I was 17 and 18, having these ileostomies and colostomies and even when I was 24 and whatnot, I felt like I was the only person my age who, who was going through this. In fact, when I was the 17, I didn't exist. What's that? I said the internet didn't exist back then. It did. You just took a while to get on it. Um, but okay. I did have, like, I had a guy from the local – Awesome support group come and visit me after my surgery when I was 17. He was a very, very uh, wonderful gentleman, you know, but I asked him, like, well, could I join your support group? And he said, of course, but you have to realize the next the person close, uh, next person closest in age to you is going to be 65. Um, and so <laughs> I felt very alone, you know, like right. what other 17 was going through, 17 year old was going through this. And there are other people going through this. And so like the United Ostomy Associate, Association of America, uh, UOAA, 
they have a wonderful website with a number of boards on there where, you know, I started to connect with other people my age and mm-hmm. and have been through these similar experiences. Some, some people have been through much worse than I have. And it, it's just it's, it's nice to be able to be in a community where you can really feel comfortable with yourself. So I would recommend that. And I'll, you know, there's a number of different groups on like even the social media groups, No Colin So Rolling. There's now Facebook pages for people, athletes with ostomies that are wonderful. Um, and you get all these inspiring stories of people who, who can do these things with their ostomies. So that would be my other recommendation is trying to reach out and just be a part of the community or realize that you're not alone in this. The support system I've had with Crohn's disease um, is amazing. My mother has been amazing through everything. Mm. And I'll say it again. My mother has been absolutely amazing. She's the one who had to deal with it. She's the one who had to deal with the doctors and the surgeries and taking me to these hospital visits and dealing with a, a kid who was on a lot of steroids and had crazy mood swings. And mm-hmm. then later on, they're watching her son develop an opioid problem and my life kind of fall apart. You know, my mother never lost faith in me. You know, I do remember as she was driving me, I think it was, I was driving to the airport to come fly out to Heidi. And she just said, you know, Ryan, whatever you do out in DC, I just want you to just give it to your all. You know, I don't just give everything you can to this. And I took that advice and it, mm-hmm. it worked out. And so She's very right about that. And my stepfather, um, who's actually my karate instructor, you know, he's he's been amazing. Um, he's he's just an amazing man and uh, just a kind of a rock as far as in my life, as far as just a sense of stability and encouragement. So yeah, it's it's the other thing I guess going back to advice to people with Crohn's disease and ostomy in, or uh, some type of ostomy would be I, I guess you, you can't tell them like create a support system because if they don't have it, they don't they might not have it. But um, thank the people that are there for you. They're there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And trying to help you, um, yeah, because you will at one point realize everything they're doing for you, and it's it's pretty breathtaking to think that someone people care about you that much. So, so if you have to have an ostomy, this is this is a, a better time, better time in history to have one than than perhaps uh, a few years back. Definitely, I mean, the ostomy community has really been trying to destigmatize having ostomies for a number of years, and I think they've been doing wonderful work. You know, just even when I was in high school, you'd watch a number of television programs and. It's the punchline of someone having an ostomy. Mm-hmm. One example I, I always kind of think of, uh, when I was in high school, I remember a specific incident where I was sitting around with some friends, and I had my ileostomy. And these are good friends of mine that did, had no idea. I did everything I could to keep it hidden. And we were watching uh, Major Pain, Marlon or Damon Wayans' movie, in which he is a comedy in which he's talking about, you know, I, how he, joking about how he killed a man to save him from the embarrassment of having an ostomy or a colostomy for the rest of his life. And wow. I've got to chuckle out of my friends sitting there around me. And you're just yeah. like, well, the point of that joke is that it'd be better to be dead than to live the life I'm living. And I got to chuckle for my friends. So you're not really seeing that as much in movies or tel- television or anything like that. Um, and I guess just it allows you to be a little braver. And, you know, I, I, I'll go to the beach now and take off my shirt um, before I was something I never even would have thought of, attempted or dreamed of, you know. Can I ask you a, maybe an indelicate question? But I mean, uh, what, what? I mean, how how does that work? You you you've got a you've you've got a pouch or a, a bag a, attached to you. I mean, how how noticeable? How easy to conceal is it? I mean, what is it? I mean, for for lack of a better way to put it, what does it look like? Um, well, there's a number of different uh, products, but they all basically you have um, the flange, which is like a square bandage with a hole in the center of it that you put around the stoma and that's what sticks to your skin. Mm-hmm. And then the bag will um, attach to the flange or be a part of it. Your, your ileostomy bag um, can be anywhere between eight inches. Mine's a longer one. It's about 10 inches long. And then they have an opening at the bottom that you close either a clip or they'll have like a Velcro closing type 
attachment on there. So it, it they come in, you know, flesh tone, which doesn't really match anyone's color <laughs> skin. So I don't really understand why they do it's that. It's a prosthetic device. Right. Yeah. Right. As far as when, like, if I was to take off my shirt, you're going to just see the top half of my ostomy because it comes up to about the top of my navel. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it hangs down below my waistline. So it's really not even, most people, when I take off my shirt, they don't even know what they're looking at. You know, mm-hmm. it's not as noticeable as I think it was. Or you, you, you can can't just, see you know, it I never picture, on. I look at myself, I see it under my shirt, but I don't think anyone else right. Because, again, it's that thing is like, no one really cares as much as you do, you know. Yeah. So, so uh, Ryan and, and, and Heidi, you've, you, you've been on kind of quite a journey as brother and sister uh, together, um, and, 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 it, and it seems like um, you've kind of come out on the other side of, of all that. Can, can you just, uh, in closing, can you just talk a little bit about sort of what your relationship and your ability to, uh, to relate to each other uh, through these years has, has, kind of, uh, has kind of meant to you and, and uh, where, where you are in, your, in each other's lives at this point? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, ahead, okay. I'll, I'll, can I start this one, Heidi? Yeah. Okay. Um, I will, you know, come out and uh, start from, you know, when we were children, we basically, I guess we're fairly indifferent towards one another. Um, but it was in high school that we became, when I was in high school, mm-hmm. Heidi had already uh, graduated at that point, that we became, I would say, friends, that we kind of realized that, you know, I realized my sister was this really cool person, and I hope she thought the same thing about me, but probably not as much. Um, yeah, I'm older. And, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I mean, Heidi, one thing we're not talking about her, you know, I've done karate for since I was 12 years old. Um, she was a very uh, experienced and, and very good Muay Thai kickboxer. You um, trained at Fairtex Muay Thai in San Francisco, and so we had that in common, which was – I think really wonderful as far as building a relationship. Every time we get together, we, we train, we go hit pads and hit the bag or, you know, spar. Yeah. And so I've always kind of looked up to Heidi. And so when she asked me to come out here and when she kind of led this physical therapy, it was, it was an easy thing for me to do because it, it was Heidi. It was my big sister that I've always kind of admired helping me with Aww. these things. Um, and so and it was amazing. Like when we were working together, she's a physical therapist, so I was a Pilates instructor at the same studio it was really easy. It felt very natural. There was never really any, I don't remember mentioning, I remember any contention of any type. And now. No, there was a couple times though, where he had these like sweatpants had a zipper at the bottom. Oh yeah. And I remember walking, we were, we'd always go barefoot in the studio and me working with a patient being very professional. I heard him walking behind me in the studio and I heard this quick every time he took a step and I remember one time without even thinking of it while I'm working with a patient I just turned my head and yelled pull your pants up <laughs> and then and then got this like mortified look and then Ryan without thinking about it just pulled his pants up <laughs> and my patient was like I think I know which one of you is older now <laughs> <sighs> but other than that right Ryan yeah I mean it really it's it's I guess it would just I don't know, work well together. Um, you know, I still love hanging out with Heidi. Um, you know, our, our, our Heidi has three wonderful daughters that I think are just you know one of the greatest things in the world next to my children. Um, and having them together is is a wonderful experience. Um, I don't know, Heidi, do you have? Yeah, um, I mean, I I I completely agree. Ryan and I have been 
very close since we were young and shared a lot of things in, in common. Um, I remember we had not only pictures, but I remember after all of his surgeries, when he would be in like the ICU and in recovery, I used to just climb inside his hospital bed mm-hmm. and just sit with him and watch TV or just sit with him and listen to him say funny things because he was coming out of anesthesia. Um, so I, I think that that did it. And, and then, like Ryan said, we had, you know, a lot of the same interests. We've always had a lot of the same interests. And um, Ryan is hilarious to me. I enjoy you know, spending time with him. We're both really active people, so we we have we like to do activities. We're hobby people. We like to do mm-hmm. hobbies. And now we, I, I've been living out of the U.S. for for a number of years, and just recently moved back. So um, we have dinner together with the families every week. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. I get to spend time with with him and his his amazing wife and children. Yeah, well, we well, don't work together anymore, but, but that's that's okay. <laughs> right, right. Well, uh, let's uh, let's wrap things up there. Um, uh, uh, Ryan, Heidi, uh, thank you so much for speaking with us on Move Forward Radio and, and educating us about this. We've really appreciated it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, or find previous episodes at ChoosePT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at ChoosePT.com.